see you today. We're thankful that you're here, that we have opportunity together to worship God, continue our worship uh, as we open His Word and uh, meditate upon the truth that He has revealed to us uh, therein. We welcome our visitors. We're glad that you're among us. We're glad that you're able to be with us. We hope that uh, we'll see you uh, again tonight uh, and hope that you have a pleasant uh, pleasant visit while among us. Uh, sorry that some are uh, sick and not able to be here, and we pray for their uh, improvement very speedily. I'd like to talk this morning about surgeries. Now, I think we have a dentist in the house this morning. Some, you know, some, some dental procedures, some oral surgery is pretty delicate, you know. Taking out a, you know, a root canal or wisdom teeth are even more extensive than that. Uh, you know, there's there's things, a lot of things you got to know to be able to do a, do a surgery uh, in your mouth or maybe your eye. Very delicate surgeries in the eye. Some amazing things people, the doctors are able to do now in in uh, eye surgery, uh, brain surgery, or heart surgery. Just you know, the the, the advances of the use of lasers uh, in uh, all kinds of surgeries is uh, phenomenal, incredible. Uh, what can be done, uh, and, and yet still, you know, yeah, surgery very often doesn't come without some pain, um, but they're often very necessary uh, to uh, improve our life, extend our life, and uh, we're thankful that that uh, there are people with knowledge and the skill to be able to uh, to execute those surgeries in a way that uh, uh, helps us uh, in our health uh, here on earth. Spiritually speaking, though, too, there are surgeries the Bible talks about. Surgeries that, that uh, are spiritual in nature. Surgeries that uh, I'm thinking about dentistry to make the illustration this morning. You know, they have some, some kind of odd tools, you know, implements. I know they're not called tools, instruments. There's the word I'm looking for. And I wouldn't begin to know what the names of them are. I know a probe, and that's about it, right? <laughs> But, but, but the doctor has instruments to perform surgery. Well, the surgeries in the Bible, there's an instrument that we've got to use. It has God's power. Talking about the power of lasers uh, to you know, cut just very infinitesimally small pieces of flesh to accomplish the purpose of surgery. God's Word is described as sharper than any two-edged sword. Uh, it, it can do something that the, the, the most finely tuned lasers cannot do. It can cut between our soul and our spirit. He says it, it cuts to the very heart of the matter. And we're not talking about the physical heart now, but the mind of man that holds our conscience and our will and, and our responses to, to each other. Our brain, uh, that which is made in the image of God, more specifically. God's Word is living and active and sharper, He said, in any two-edged sword, piercing to the dividing of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, quick to discern the thoughts and intents of the heart. A tool that can go to our thoughts, that can work surgery on our thoughts, uh, our motives, our, our, our decision-making process. Well, the Bible talks about a particular surgery God performs, we're going to look at, and some that He expects us to perform uh, using the Word of God uh, in our own lives to accomplish it. Now, 
Uh, we'll we'll make the point now, and hope you'll see how it develops. Is that you know, just as a dentist must be skilled using the instruments of surgery, or a heart surgeon, or the neurosurgeon, whatever it might be, we have to become skilled in using the Word of God if we're going to accomplish the surgeries God wants us to perform in our own hearts, in our own lives. So let's begin though by by talking for a few minutes about. God's operation. It's called the circumcision of Christ in our reading this morning in Colossians chapter 2 that Jess read for us. It, 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 there particularly in verses, uh, verses 11 and 12, verse 11, in Him you were also circumcised with the circumcision not made with hands. That is, here's a circumcision that is God's work without hands. That is, it's not a human origin. It's not a human precision. It's not uh, the the human doing this particular uh, uh, surgery, but he says it's divine. So, so in Christ, he says you were circumcised with this this divine operation, this circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Now, so he's going to begin talking about the circumcision of Christ in terms of something that that has to do with removing sin and and uh, being saved. Well, other verses teach us that we're saved by grace through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We don't uh, earn our salvation. We don't uh, manipulate the situation so that we uh, can boast and say, I deserve to be saved. By grace, we're saved, but but through faith suggests that we also have a part to play in this surgery. You know, there's some, some doctrines out there that says that, that God has to infuse you with the ability to believe. That's the old strict Calvinism. That you can't even, you're so corrupt you can't even begin to believe until God gives you an enabling grace that empowers you to, to start believing in the first place. Well, that's false. Faith comes by hearing the Word of God. Romans 10.17 So we have a part to play in the surgery. You know, when you go to... and I, Forgive me, brother. I just, your name has just escaped me, so I'm just going to talk about our dentist in the house. I'm sorry. I, 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 you know, it's my senior moment. In full gear this morning. You know, we have to decide we want the surgery, don't we? He's not out there on the corner... Hauling people in, lassoing them, or pulling them, tying them down, and, and working on them, right? It doesn't happen. Um, we, have to, we have to yield to that. We have to agree that we have to say, that's, I need that surgery. Whether it's the mouth, or it's the eye, or it's the heart. We, we, we have a part to play. When it comes to salvation, we're going to have a part to play. But you see, being saved is going to be fundamentally an operation God performs to remove sin from our lives. He says it's the putting off of the body of the sins of the flesh. Now, circumcision is the, the removal of the flesh. Well, and, and there's that figure of that excess being removed in the same way now we have those things that are excessive, those things that are, are uh, sin body of the sins of the flesh that God removes. Now, I know God does it because verse 12, He's describing it as the working of God. 
when He raises us from the dead. And, and by the way, verse 13, He said, you were dead in trespasses. That's when we were, He says, in the uncircumcision of your flesh. Now the idea of being the uncircumcision of your flesh, you Gentiles, to whom He's writing, you were not in covenant with God. You, you were sin, in sin. Uh, your flesh didn't save you. But now we're talking about the removal of sins. Verse 11. The body of the sins of the flesh, driven by the sensual things of, this, uh, of the flesh, to sin against God. He says, there's a circumcision of Christ. The cutting off of the body of the sins of the flesh. So, there's going to be some skill involved. Do you know how to, cut, how to do that? How can you save somebody? That's what he's talking about here. Made alive and forgiven all your trespasses. See, we're talking about an operation that God does on the heart, but we're going to play a part in it. Now bear with me here a minute and think about this. In Romans 2, 28 and 29, you remember that now he says the people of God are not those who are Jews outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly. Are you a Jew today? See, he says you're a Jew if you're one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men but from God. The law of Moses codified circumcision. It said the eighth day every male was to be circumcised. That was the letter of the law. But now the Spirit, that is, the Holy Spirit has revealed the Gospel, and the Gospel says, doesn't matter what you are outwardly, that doesn't make you a child of God. It's about a circumcision of the heart. One is a Jew who is one inwardly. But now, let me hasten to point this out to you. Because those who under the law of Moses were to be circumcised in the flesh were to also circumcise their hearts. In Deuteronomy 10 and verse 16, Moses said in the law, Therefore circumcise the foreskin of your heart, and be not stiff-necked, and be stiff-necked no longer. So now we have a definition from God about this circumcision of the heart. That is not being stiff-necked. Don't have a heart that is not quickened, not sensitive to God's Word and God's will in your life. You see, the outward circumcision was an identifying mark, a sign given to Abraham of the covenant God made with Abraham. Genesis 17, 11-14. Circumcision predated the law of Moses. The law was added to the promise that in Abraham's seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. God made covenant with Abraham and circumcision of the flesh of Abraham and his descendants was a sign of that covenant. The law of Moses stipulated that for Israel. But all of that is, is a shadowy description of what now is accomplished in Jesus Christ. In Him, He said, you were circumcised with a circumcision not made with hands. That is, God performs this circumcision. And verse 12 explains when and how. And that is in baptism. 
when you're buried with Him in baptism, verse 12, in which you were also raised with Him through faith in the working of God, who raised Him from the dead. The working or power or operation of God that resurrected Jesus from the dead is the very power at work to remove our sins, to raise us from death, to make us alive, verse 13, forgiving us our trespasses, verse 13. It's when we're baptized that God executes this operation because it is then that we are quickened. It is then that we are made fresh, made new. The sin has been removed. So just as in the fleshly circumcision of the the newly exposed flesh, now the heart is fresh and new and exposed, free of sin. The life, free of sin, pure before God. Not by earning it. I don't have the skill to remove my sin. I don't have the ability to do that. I don't have the power. I don't have the know-how to do that, nor do you. But God does. And God does it. God applies that power and knowledge, that great wisdom, and that great care. He cuts away the body of the sins of the flesh when we're baptized into Jesus Christ. Described as a resurrection, the newness of life. Romans 6 and verse 4. Him you made alive. Him you made, you, he made alive, I'm sorry. You, he made alive, Ephesians 2 and verse 1. When you were dead in your trespasses and sins. But now we're alive, now we're quickened, now we're fresh and new because of the power of Jesus that saves us from the dead, the power of God when we're baptized into Christ. This is the operation of God. So that now, Scripture says we, Christians, are the circumcision. We are the people of the covenant. Philippians 3, verses 2 and 3 is this point there. As we've already read Romans 2, you're not a Jew because you're one outwardly. Circumcision isn't in the flesh. And so in in, um, Philippians, the second chapter, I'm sorry, the third chapter, verses 2 and 3, beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Now, Paul says that those who who place their confidence in the flesh, that is, those who were demanding that people had to be circumcised and keep the law of Moses to be saved. Those who were demanding circumcision, he says, that's not the true circumcision. That's mutilation. Beware the mutilation. They have mutilated the, the scheme of God, the plan of God, the purpose of God, and they would mutilate you, he says, to try to have power over your faith. You Gentiles, don't yield to it. We are the circumcision. That is, we, Christians, are those who now have received the operation of God cutting away the body of the sins of the flesh in this circumcision of the heart. This powerful operation God effects when we became Christians. Romans 12 and 2, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present yourselves a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service or your spiritual service. The word there is the idea of serving because we are in covenant with God in Christ. 
we are now able to bring service to God. Galatians 6 and verse 15, look at this, where again Paul is addressing this idea of outward circumcision and inward circumcision of the heart. He said, in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything. He's talking about in the flesh. Doesn't matter if you're circumcised in the flesh or not circumcised in the flesh. That doesn't matter in Christ. But what does matter, he says, is a new creation. A new creation. That's what happens when the body of the sins of the flesh are cut away. When we're forgiven. When they're put away. The sins of the past are removed. Not there any longer. Just like the literal circumcision. The foreskin's gone. It's not there anymore. He says now we're able to serve because we are a new creation. You back up to chapter 5 and verse 6 and he said, in Christ what avails is faith working through love. Somebody, when you, when you men want to give a five-minute talk on, on uh, what avails in Christ, there's your two verses right there. I'll give you, give you a five-minute invitation right there. Okay? What avails in Christ? Faith working through love because we're new creatures. We're new creation. Why? Because the body of the sins of the flesh have been cut away. God has performed surgery to save your soul. If you're not a Christian, if you haven't been baptized into Christ, you're dead. The body of the sins of the flesh, that's death. But you can be made alive if you'll be baptized. If you'll act in faith, God will save you by His grace. Because He has the grace, He has the knowledge, He has the power, He has the wisdom, He has the ability to extract your sins, to remove them so that you are a new creature in Christ Jesus. You need to do that. You need to be saved. You know, say, well, yeah, I, I'm afraid, or well, that's not pleasant, or I'm going to have to commit myself to live in a new way. No, but it's essential. It's necessary. Just like that root canal may not be pleasant, but it's essential. Like that heart surgery uh, may be frightening, but, but it's essential. See? There's a spiritual surgery that is essential that we must commit ourselves to to become a Christian. And then, there's surgeries that we have to perform from time to time as Christians. And that's what I want to talk about next. In Matthew 5 and also Matthew 18, sometimes amputation is necessary. Now, amputation is not a pleasant thought. There's a wide variety of physical reasons why Amputation, though, might become necessary at times. And generally speaking, whenever amputation is required, it's because essentially the patient's life's at stake. If you don't amputate, something worse is going to happen. Right? I mean, we don't just say, well, I don't need my hand anymore, just cut it off. But if we have to cut it off, it's because there's something, that, some, some, some reason bearing upon that if I don't, a worse fate's going to, going to happen. There are diseases such as diabetes that, that sometimes affects the extremities in that way. And other diseases. It's, it's not a pleasant thought on the battlefield, clearly. The, the, uh, the idea of amputation is, is survival. It's for survival. Now, think about that spiritually with me for a few minutes. In Matthew, the fifth chapter, it was Jesus... Beginning in verse 27, He said, You've heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not commit adultery. 
But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. We were more profitable for you that one of your members perish and that your whole body be cast into hell. And if your right eye or right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it were more profitable for you that one of your members perish than your whole body be cast into hell. Now, I believe Jesus is using hyperbole, that is, a figure of speech, an exaggerated figure of speech to make his point. See, but again, he is using a physical idea of amputation to amplify and to, to drive home the point of making whatever uh, uh, decisions must be made of repentance and denial of sin in your life in order to be saved so that, you're, so that we're not lost. You see, amputation is extreme, but it's necessary to save the patient. And so, when we find that there's a lust of the eye, let's say, what are we to do? Is Jesus telling us, well, I just, you know, I'm, I, I'm just, every time I, I see a, a young woman, I lust after her. I, I just have this pornography problem, and, and so Jesus is telling me I just need to plug my eyes out, just make myself blind. No, he's not saying that. But he is saying, you take the extreme measure you need to take to remove that sin and to remove yourself from those sources of sin because if you don't, you're going to lose your soul. You see, Jesus in that text identifies sin's source and sin's snare. The source of the sin is the heart. Verse 28. So if you're going to follow His instruction of 29 through 30, you're going to have to address the heart. You see, He's not talking about physical amputations. He's talking about cutting things out of our heart. And that's the radical nature of repentance. Because you see, repentance is heart surgery. And this is a heart surgery that we have to perform. That we have to take the instrument of God's Word and allow it to expose our sin. You know, before you do surgery, well, I, you know, used to, back in the day, you'd open the body up. Now, I guess with lasers, and you can go into the body and a lot of it. You don't have to open it up as much as before. The fact is, you've got to get to the place where you're going to perform the surgery. We've got to open our heart up to the Word of God and its ability to cut to our thoughts and extract the sin, remove what it is that's causing the sin, so that I'm right with God. i got to repent. That's what Jesus is talking about here. He says, you think it's okay as long as you don't commit adultery? You need to address your heart and don't look at a woman with lust. And you need to make the radical, severe, and even costly steps necessary to shield yourself against that temptation and that sin. It's radical. It's radical. It's, it's, it's remove your place. Remove yourself from the temptation. You say, well, how do you do that? Well, I don't know. If you've got, if you got a pornography problem, then get off the internet. Stop doing what you're doing. But how are you going to do that? You've got to change your heart first. You've got to change your heart. 
How does, a, how does a drunk stop drinking? He first has to change his heart. We've got to change our heart to change our conduct. Whatever the sin is. Whatever the sin is. And Jesus is teaching us that right here. We've got to amputate the sin. And that requires the heart surgery of repentance. Look, in 2 Corinthians 12, would you look at something here? Paul had had rebuked severely some sins in Corinth in 1 Corinthians. And some had repented. Even the fornicator had. And the church had concerning their treatment of him. But, but in 2 Corinthians 12.21, he said, "...lest when I come again, my God will humble me among you, and I shall mourn for many who have sinned before and have not repented of the uncleanness, fornication, and lewdness which they have practiced." Some of them still were not repenting. They still weren't willing to use God's powerful instrument, His Word, to drive down into the way they're thinking, the way their attitudes are, the values, their motives, their commitments, their devotions. And with that exposure then let God's Word do its work to change the way we think, change our motivations, change our desires. Now practically, that's going to then play itself out in how we live. See, when I change my heart, then I'm going to make different decisions that is going to shield me from the temptations of sin. It begins with this extreme notion of repentance and a willingness really to put ourselves under the knife of the Word of God. Going to be surrender? He said we're going to have to surrender something valuable to us. Something that we've enjoyed. Something that's been pleasurable. Something that that we've been involved with. But we're going to have to surrender that to be saved. See, Go back to that verse. You see the surrender of salvation there? He said surrender the eye, if you will. Surrender the... the, 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 um, Hand, if you, if you will. Surrender that thing that's going to lead you to perishing. Because the, the objective here is your soul salvation. Your soul salvation. Well, there's another aspect of this amputating offenses in Matthew the 16th chapter, 6-11. through 11, If you look at that, it's about... Cutting away the conduct that influences others to sin. In that passage in Matthew 18 and verse 6, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him that a millstone were hung around his neck and he'd drown in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world because of offenses. For offenses must come, but woe to that man by whom the offenses come. He, he talks here about being a stumbling block, being a snare that's tripped, that catches someone in the snare and overcome and leads them, of course, that sin and into their loss. And so he says, if your right hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off, cast it from you. Well, the sin here, he's saying, to be careful not to commit is being an offense to somebody else. So, on the one hand, Jesus used this illustration to remove sin in our own hearts. And now he says, remove it so that we don't lead somebody else into sin. That we don't influence someone to join us in sin. Remember Peter? Peter's hypocrisy led Barnabas and others into sin in Galatians 2 and 13. 
So we have to have the, you know, we have to allow God's Word to constantly be diagnosing our standing before God. There's some amazing products now and medical devices now um, that can measure blood sugar on a continuing basis so that you don't have to always just, you know, prick your finger three or four times a day, right? Some use those, some don't, but 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 you have to constantly monitor is my point. Because you don't want that you don't want your sugar level going up uh, to extreme levels. You want to keep it in range. Stay healthy. See? We've got to constantly monitor how we're influencing others. And if we learn through the Word of God that my influence is causing uh, and contributing to someone to sin, then I need to stop that conduct. I need to extract that. I need to remove that. You see, Paul said, I won't eat meat anymore if by eating my meat, uh, the meat, I cause someone with a weak conscience to sin. 1 Corinthians 8, first 13 verses. Sometimes you can be doing something that's not sin at all. But given the right situation and circumstance, be contributing to somebody else violating their conscience and sinning. Now imagine that. You could be doing something right and stand condemned before God because your influence is hurting and harming another. Now think about that. That, that. That's pretty deep. But that's what he says. We can't just say, well, I'm not doing anything wrong. Everything's good. Not necessarily. Eating meat was okay. But if it drew somebody with weak conscience thinking they'd be serving an idol when they ate, if you went ahead and did that, you're helping that person sin. And you sin. So that's pretty extreme, Joe. You mean I can't do something that's good and right? That's right. In a certain circumstance. That's what, Jesus, that's what Paul said. I didn't say it. Paul did. You see, we've got to be able to constantly monitor, like monitoring the blood sugar, you know, of the, the diabetic. We've got to constantly monitor ourselves and not simply be content with saying, well, I'm okay, then everybody else is, they're just going to have to answer for themselves. No, Paul said, we're going to have to answer how we treat a brother with a weak conscience as well. And that may seem extreme, but it's about salvation. Ours and the others. Well, also taught that as Christians, we've got to cut off the old person of sin. You say, well, I thought we already got that taken care of when we were baptized. Well, yes and no. <laughs> because you see, past sins are forgiven when we're baptized, but that doesn't mean we can just then go ahead and just live as we please and it won't matter any longer. Bible doesn't teach once saved, always saved. We as Christians now, because we are alive in Christ, are to put sin to death. It's to no longer rule over us. Romans 6 and verse 6, for example, says, "...knowing that our old man was crucified with Him, that the body of sin might be done away, that we should no longer be slaves of sin." He cut away the past sins. He forgave that. That was God's operation. He saved us. But now he says, now we're to no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. We were freed from it. 
So he says in verse 11, you likewise reckon yourselves to be dead to sin and alive to God. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lusts. Now you have a responsibility, Job, not to let sin reign in you. Now, Job, you have a responsibility to cut off the old man of sin, to put sin to death. Colossians 3.5 Every one of us as Christians have that responsibility to put on the new person, the new man that's created in the image of Jesus Christ through our spiritual growth and maturity. We are saying we are not going to let sin reign over us. When we find it, we're going to repent. We're going to cut that out, amputate it, so that we live with Christ. By the way, there's also the amputation of false teachers. That is, he said, shun them. Turn away from them. Give no court. Paul said, we did not give place for an hour to those who would try to bind circumcision on you so that the Gospel would continue with you. When people try to draw souls away into error, he said mark and turn away from them. There's a a surgery that's going to have to be made cutting away of that which would, would lead a person away from and out of fellowship with Jesus. So, there's some surgeries we've got to perform concerning sin. One final point, James' first chapter, and that is we've got to implant the Word of God. There's all sorts of, of implants these days, pacemakers and all other kind of tooth implants, all sorts of things like that. Uh, but but look, you know, since I've gone through that, I can speak from experience, right? We'll get back to our dentist illustration. You got to get you got to get rid of the uh, of the affected area, don't you? You got to remove that old tooth, and and, and really with any surgery, you got to sterilize the affected area. You got to get all that junk out of there before you can then do what you need to do to to put the right thing in its place. Well. In James 1.21, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted Word which is able to save your souls. And be doers of the Word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Implanting the Word of God means we've got to replace the bad with the good. We've got to get the bad out of there. We've got to allow God's Word into our hearts. Accept it with meekness, James said. He said, receive with meekness. The Word of God effectively works in those who believe. 1 Thessalonians 2.13 says, you know, we can hear the Bible preached, we can hear it in our classes, we can have others talk to us about it, but until we in our heart are willing to receive it, then we're never going to do this surgery. We've got to receive it with the right heart, with meekness. We've got to yield to its directive in our life. Yield to the necessary teachings. And then we've got to live that. You know, when uh, imagine someone accepting a liver transplant, but then refusing to yield to the treatment necessary in an ongoing fashion to remain healthy. We would, what, why in the world? You know. But you see, sometimes we do that spiritually. We become Christians. We have sin removed by the power of God's great operation on our hearts to cut out our sin and to forgive us, but then we won't follow 
the doctor's recommendation on how to stay healthy. The great physician teaches us to receive His Word and be doers of it. And we deceive ourselves thinking we don't have to do that. I'll continue to be healthy and we lose our souls. Just like the transplanted organ, if it's not taken care of, obviously, there will be problems. We know that physically. Why don't we know it spiritually? It comes down to an issue of faith, trust, and our devotion and commitment to that, to be doers of the Word. And brethren, how much we would love to pour that into somebody's heart. This is an operation that each person has to make to remove the excess now because we're Christians, to not let sin rule any longer, to remove the, lay aside the filthiness, lay aside the wickedness, make the bed proper so that God's Word can take root and God's Word can grow in our lives. See, Paul, uh, the writer said in Hebrews 2 and verse 3, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? And so, we tell folks that with a chronic health issue, don't neglect it. Don't neglect your treatment. Don't neglect to do what you need to do to stay healthy. But when it comes to spiritual things, we, we deceive ourselves thinking we can neglect that, the spiritual things, and still go to heaven when we die. Still be okay with God. All the while, gradually, little by little, losing our health spiritually, and finally dying away from God, spiritually separated from Him. If you lost this morning, go to the great physician. He will heal you. Jesus said, I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He is the one with the healing. He is the one sent by God. Isaiah 61 and uh, verse 1 that says prophetically, and Jesus applied this to Himself in Luke the 4th chapter. In uh, Isaiah 61, I'll get over there with you right quick as we bring these thoughts to a close. The verse says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach the glad tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. He can heal the brokenhearted. He can heal every sin. God sent Him to do that. He can save you. You'll have faith to allow Him to work remove your sin, faith to repent and be baptized, then He'll wash your sins away. He'll add you to the Lord's church. And then commit yourself to operating using God's Word in your life. Allow it to do its work to be strong and vital and living as a child of God now and forevermore. If we can help you accomplish that, won't you come now while we stand and we sing?